Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our first passage today is from Psalm 78. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God. In the gospel of Matthew, we hear, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. And in 1 Timothy, we read, don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. This is graduation weekend. What an exciting time. This last week, graduation's happening. This weekend, uh, this coming week, and really all over America. And we've hosted two graduation ceremonies right here in our Leewood, uh, at, at our Leewood location. One of them was in our foundry hall. And uh, here's a picture of that graduation. Uh, these are our kids in our preschool, our early learning center here at the Leewood location. And we had this class and go ahead and go to the next one. There's another class and maybe more than that, I'm not sure. And they're five years old and they are going launching into their career as kindergartners next year. Very exciting. But of course, when we think about graduations, we're really thinking about high school and college graduates. And, uh, and we had a high school graduation here in our sanctuary for the Center School District, for Center High School. It was very exciting. Here's a photograph in the narthex of, of people gathering parents and grandparents. They're all getting ready for, for the graduation ceremony. And it was just, the whole place was a buzz and our staff members were here, you know, enjoying helping these folks and these parents and grandparents coming up and saying, thank you for allowing us to have our commencement, our kids' commencement in such a beautiful place. It's like the Performing Arts Center for them. It's just beautiful. Here's a picture of them as they're marching in to the, I don't remember the, the name of the song as people come in during commencement, but they're marching into our sanctuary and getting ready for graduation. It's a very, very exciting time. And, and they loved being here. For those of you who are part of Resurrection, thank you for hosting these kinds of events for area high school students. All right, so today we wanna to talk about, uh, we wanna talk about a little bit about high school graduation, but really not about high school graduation, about what happens after that. And of course, at the commencement addresses, you know, all over, people are being told you have so much potential and the world needs to change and you can go change. And, and yes, all, yes to all of that. But I wanna encourage our high school graduates to be thinking about and our college graduates, you know, what are you gonna do with your life? Right? What is it all about? What does it mean? And then I wanna encourage all the rest of us to think, are we gonna be a church that's gonna welcome all of these Gen Zers? See, the folks who are graduating from high school and college, they're in Gen Z, uh, Generation Z. Are we gonna be ready to welcome them? Are we gonna be a church for them? Are they gonna to want to come to our churches? So today I wanna to begin by talking about Gen Z and then we're gonna talk about a generation that came along in 1968 and graduated in 68. And then we're gonna talk about what it means to be the church. And then finally, I'm gonna send you out to go seek after the kingdom of God. 
All right, in the last century, just let's talk about generations for a minute. In the last century, uh, you know that people began talking about generational cohorts. And so I think about the silent generation. Uh, the silent generation were born during the Great Depression and during World War II. They weren't old enough to fight in World War II, but they experienced the impact of the Great Depression and of World War II on their growing up years, and it shaped who they were. Uh, we think about the baby boomers who were born right after that, 1946 to 1964. And you know they were born during this time, this euphoria as people, you know, the war ended and, and soldiers came back and, and you know, there was an economic boon. And so shopping malls were starting at this period of time as they were growing up and, and subdivisions. And, and you know, for many people, it was just a, a really blissful period of time. Not everybody, but certainly for some people, this was a really wonderful time. And, and, and yet at the same time, the Cold War is going on during all of this period. Then there's Generation X that was born 1965 to 1980, roughly 1980. A high number of those born in Generation X grew up in single parent homes. A lot of divorces happen among those baby boomers, the older baby boomers. And so this is the, this is the highest number of single parent homes during Gen X. And, and consequently, because of that, these kids grew up to be independent and resourceful and they were quiet achievers and entrepreneurs. While their parents, one or both parents were working outside the home, you know, they were figuring out how to do it all by themselves. Then came the millennials and they were born, some say 1977, many say 1980, but somewhere between 1977 and 80 up to 1996. And this group of course becomes the first group to grow up and have access to computers in their own homes and many of them in their own bedrooms. And then this is the technological revolution. I mean, this is the, this is the part that we mostly experience because then there's the internet that comes along while they're growing up. And all of a sudden you have access to information from all around the world and towards the tail end of their growing up, it's social media and they're having access to this. And you know, this generation grew up being curious and they knew how to solve problems. They could deal with change better than most generations because they were constantly changing and how the world was, was constantly changing. They were concerned you know, with compassion and social issues and they wanted a work-life balance. They didn't wanna work quite as hard as their parents or their grandparents had done, at least not focused solely on their job. They wanted to have time to do other things that were of interest to them. They valued connections with other people. And again, they spent a couple of hours, uh, hours a day on social media. Now that leads us to Gen Z. And by the way, the kids who graduated from preschool this week, that's the alpha generation. We'll talk about them another time. But I wanna talk a little bit about Gen Z today. And I wanna just share with you some information you probably know already. But, but 1997 to 2012 is when Gen Z was born. There Today, they are 11 years old to 26 years old. And let's find out just a little bit about them. They are smartphone natives. So when they were, the oldest of them were 10 years old, the, smart, the Apple iPhone came out. And, and suddenly there was pocket computers. They had access to all of this information and social media in their pockets wherever they were. And so they grew up, they don't know or remember a time when they didn't have a access to a computer in their hands. They're social media natives. Uh, so their entire life they had social media or nearly their entire life they had social media. Um, they are the most ethnically diverse generation in US history. 50% of them or nearly 50% are not white in the United States. And so they value diversity. They've seen it and grown up with it in ways none of the rest of us have done. They're the most progressive generation of all the generations. So even the conservatives are more progressive than their conservative parents. And the progressives are more progressive generally than their progressive parents. And so we find, you know, that there's just a spirit of welcome and inclusion. And that's the last thing I want to mention here is their diversity and inclusion is really, really important to this generation. Their sense of doing what's fair and what's right, really important to this generation. We also know that they are the least likely to be religious. So 34% claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. I mean, 66% still claim some religious affiliation, but 34%, no religious affiliation. Only 30% of Gen Z attend religious services of any kind. So even though 66% claim to be 
you know, have some religious affiliation. Most of them don't go to church or synagogue. 70%, 77% of them consider themselves spiritual, but not religious. So uh, a deep interest in spirituality, just not connected with a community or a particular faith. Pivotal events that took place in their lives, here's just a few of them. They grew up with active shooter training in, uh, in their schools. I want you to think about that. Now, there were school shootings, you know, in the millennial generation, but they became so prevalent that today these kids are growing up having to take training on what to do if somebody comes into your school with a gun. We had an active shooter situation here in, uh, during, you know, these kids who graduated last year during their junior years in high school. Uh, this was a time of Me Too and Black Lives Matter, a sensitivity to the places where, where there isn't equality or justice today. And so they grew up understanding this, learning about this, seeing it, you know, in protests and on the streets. COVID occurred during three years of their most formative years of their lives, three years where they were out of school, where they were not able to be with friends in the way other generations had been, where their graduations were done online. Three years affected their lives as well in ways we don't fully understand just yet. And they live in a time of deep divisions and polarization, not probably seen since the late 1960s that we're going to talk about in just a minute. So that leads to this generation having the highest rates of mental health issues. And when we think about those, 40, 47% of Gen Z are moderately or extremely depressed. 55% are moderately or extremely anxious. 57% are moderately or extremely stressed. And 45% are moderately or extremely lonely. And so all of these things that have shaped their lives have also led to these kind of mental health concerns that they have. As a Christian and as a pastor, I look at these Gen, you know, the Gen Z, the 11-year-olds to 26-year-olds, and I'm in awe of so many things about them. I mean, if you're in Gen Z, I, you know, you're going to hear at graduation how much potential you have, but that's what I see. I mean, I think, wow, this is an amazing generation, and also a generation that has, that has had their share of struggles. And a generation that even though they, they, many of them are spiritual but not religious, I would say that there is a God that I believe in who deeply loves you and cares about you and longs for you to be in a relationship with God and longs for you to be a part of a community of people who together are living out their faith, growing in their faith and caring for one another. And what we find is every survey of young adults of Gen Z where you look at people who are active, actively involved in their faith, who are part of a faith community, part of a church, they all report the same thing or almost all report the same thing that I, am, I have a better quality of mental health than if I was not going to a faith community than when I wasn't going to a faith community. They are, they are reporting that they are flourishing more than if they were not involved in a faith community. Now, that doesn't mean that going to a church or a faith community is a guarantee that you're not gonna struggle. All of us struggle. Every single one of us, your parents, your grandparents, all of us struggle, whether you go to church or not, with mental health issues from time to time. But we find is, you know, the idea that there are people who are coming, along, who are coming alongside you as your brothers and sisters, your friends uh, in the faith, and the idea that there is a God who's walking with you all the time, who came to us in Jesus, that matters. That makes a difference, what we believe. And it helps us figure out what the meaning of our lives are. And so part of what I want to do is just to encourage us to think about, for Gen Z, what does it take to be the kind of church that people in Gen Z are going to say, I want to be a part of that congregation? I, if, I could, if I would go to church, I might go to that kind of church. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today too. Now I want to take you back a few years, and uh, I want to take you back to 1968. During this time in America, it was a deeply polarized time. So there was a lot of polarization like we have today. Uh, there was not only a lot of division, but there was a lot of fear in the world. 
So there was a war that was going on. The Vietnam War was taking place during that time. And in 1968, January of 68, was the Tet Offensive, which led a whole lot of college students and young adults in America to question America's involvement in Vietnam. And so there were protests that erupted on college campuses across the country that year. Then that's January and February. And then by April of that year, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And when he was killed, millions more people spilled out into the streets and there were burnings and buildings and cars, you know, and, and, and communities that, that erupted in violence and, and, and protests that were taking place after Dr. King was killed. And then, and then and many of those, again, young people taking to the streets. And then you go from there to, I think it was June of that year when 1968, when Senator Bobby Kennedy was killed. And Bobby Kennedy was running to be the Democratic nominee for the presidency. And while, Dr., while he was running for this opportunity, uh, and, and a hero of many young people, and st- standing for and speaking for the things that they believed in, he was assassinated. And that left a lot of people disoriented, a lot of young people in asking questions and wondering, where am I going to find life? It clearly is not going to be in the, in the world my parents have made. And so, you know, there were folks who began to ask, well, you know, maybe it's time to have a revolution against what's going on in our world, a countercultural revolution. And while this is going on, there were people out there, I think of Timothy Leary, who was a psychologist at Harvard University, who experimented with LSD. And he began to tell people, this was his slogan, some of you would remember this, tune in, turn on, and drop out. And the folks who began to listen to that, of course, he left Harvard, and folks who began to listen to that, they were known as hippies. And so they, you know, start in Southern California, but you begin to see it sweep across the country. And so they're in favor of, you know, they're told that they're going to find freedom and God and liberation and, and free love and LSD. But there were some in that movement who tried that and it didn't work. And when it didn't work, actually it didn't work for anybody. But when it didn't work for them, they began looking in other places. And some of them began looking in the Bible. And these hippies began reading the gospels. And it was an amazing thing to see. I mean, I was just a kid, but you know, this lasted on into the 70s and, and, uh, and young people who were finding themselves drawn to Jesus, wanting to be like Jesus, and then wanting to lead a revolution that changed their world to make it look more like the kingdom Jesus preached about. In uh, June of 1971, the cover story on Time Magazine was uh, about this group. It was called, the cover story was the Jesus Revolution. And these folks were called the Jesus Movement. They were Jesus people. Sometimes they were called Jesus freaks. And it really drew attention to what was happening in various parts of the country. In February of this year, a film came out that documented some of the events that happened through the lens of a few characters, a few people who actually lived that Jesus movement. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith was one of those. I used to listen to him on the radio every night before I'd go to bed. I came to faith as sort of the tail end of that movement spreading across the country. And, you know, there were others. One man I didn't really know about was a guy named Lonnie Frisbee. And so this film was made about this. And I want want you to see a, a couple of the clips from this film. And in this first one, so Pastor Smith is working at a small church in Costa Mesa, California, and, uh, and in this, uh, you know, at this time, the hippie movement has taken off and he's, he's perplexed and he, he really looks with uh, skepticism about the hippies. And then he has a chance to meet one. Take a look. So, uh, tell me about yourself, Lonnie. And your uh, people. My people. I like the sound of that. You know, it reminds me of the words of Jesus. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? I was up in San Francisco for a long time, living in Haight-Ashbury, on the streets all over. Man, we did everything and everyone. But that was the point. You see, 
drugs. It's a quest. For what? For God. How can you not see that? There is an entire generation right now searching for God. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. But that was a lie. As much of a lie as what we were rebelling against. And what brought you to that realization? I kept searching and searching. And I just finally got to the end of it. And there was still a void. Got to the end of his search in that path, and there was still a void. When I was listening to those words, you know, I was reminding myself, I was, you know, I was a few years beyond that. I was only four when that happened. But when I was 14, you know, I was on the same path. I decided I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I, you know, began experimenting with drugs and, you know, uh, other things. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe life is found here. Maybe happiness is found here. And I found that there was still a void. And that reminds me of a quote, most of you know, from St. Augustine. He said this to God. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Humanity was created by God. We were created by God for fellowship with God. He didn't have to create human beings, but we have the capacity to transcend ourselves, to be in a relationship with God, to talk to God, to, have a, to, to experience God's presence in our lives. And God didn't just create us as creatures to inhabit the earth, but also to be creatures who are in relationship with him, his sons and his daughters. And there's something inside of us that yearns for that. Just like you yearn to have a dad or a mom who love you, there's something inside of you that yearns for God, whether you acknowledge it, whether you name it or not, there's something there. And we can spend our entire lives trying to satisfy that void that Lonnie was talking about that restlessness that, that St. Augustine was talking about. But until we turn to God, we will never satisfy that longing. We're gonna find ourselves, you know, we can have everything. I mean, we, you, know, you, you can have as much money as you could possibly imagine. You can, you, you know, those of you getting ready to graduate, you know, maybe you're gonna go on to college and you're gonna, you're gonna get a, you know, a great degree. Maybe you go to an Ivy League school and that's awesome. And then you get a career, you know, the thing that you dreamt of always doing and, and you end up working your career and hopefully you love your career and you enjoy it. And, and, and maybe you make tons of money and you, and you climb up the ladder, but the thing is you get to the top of the ladder and, and at some point, and this is what causes anxiety for a lot of people who have been successful in life, is the anxiety comes when we get to the top and we realize I'm still not happy. Or in, in the words of a U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All of that other stuff is great, but there's still something else. There's some part of you that was created to be in a relationship with God. And so without that, without even pursuing that or opening ourselves up to God's presence in our lives, we find there's gonna be at times, you know, with everything else happening in the world, anxiety and depression and loneliness and feelings of a lack of self-worth and a whole host of other things. We're still on a quest. All of us, we're on a quest, a lifelong quest like those hippies. And in that lifelong quest, I just have to ask you, what are you questing for? What are you searching for? What is it in your life that you think, you know, if I could just do this, I might find meaning. I might find direction. I might find hope. I might find love. I might find acceptance. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of great things you can quest for in your life. And we will have lots of quests. But in the end, underneath it all, you were made to search for God. You were made for a quest for God. And I think there's a lot of Gen Z who are questing for God. They just don't know it. They maybe don't even call this, this yearning they feel inside God. But 77% of them talking about being spiritual, but not religious. You know, it's easy for us to talk bad about religion, but you know, there's a lot of bad religion out there, a lot of bad religion. But listen, 
Religion, religio, just means to reconnect. It means to connect you to something, to connect you with other people and to connect you with God. That's what the word means, to reconnect. A ligament connects, you know, and, and you're religio with God, with the maker of the universe and with the purpose of your life and with other people. That's what religion is supposed to do. Listen again, nothing, not drugs, booze, sex, vacations, money, climbing the corporate ladder, relationships with other people. None of that can ultimately fill a void that was meant for God. This is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says this. I refrained from nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. Indeed, my heart found pleasure from results of my hard work. So he found some pleasure in what he was doing. That was the reward from all of my hard work. But when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had worked so hard to achieve, I realized that it was pointless, a chasing after the wind. How long will it be until you figure that out? You see, all of those other things can be really good, but the deep longing that we have that undergirds all the rest of them is a longing for God. Jesus said this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, and he also said, I say to you, don't worry about, what you'll, about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he concludes that part of the Sermon on the Mount saying, but seek first the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God and his righteousness and all the other things your heart, are longing, heart is longing for, all the other needs that you have emotionally. You know, they, they'll, be, you know, they'll find their way to fulfillment when first you seek the kingdom of God. What are you searching for? What are you yearning for? What is your quest? All right, that leads me to ask this question for the rest of us. And really that question is for all of us too. But the second question is, you know, will we be a church that's gonna be ready for all generations? Will we, will we be a church that's gonna value all generations? Because what tends to happen is, you know, churches are like any organizations of people. We kind of get together and then we like things the way they've always been. And, and we like things the way they've always been. We like things that are not controversial. We like things that are safe. Uh, we, you know, we don't like change. Churches are risk averse and they are change averse. They don't wanna change anything. We like to keep doing it the way we've always done it. But here's the thing, these new generations are changing faster than any generations before them. And it doesn't mean we're changing the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, but it does mean maybe that we're changing how we do ministry and what that looks like and, and, and a whole host of other things that sometimes need to change. Now, Lonnie goes to Pastor Chuck and he says, Pastor Chuck, you know, there's all these people on a quest for God, but they're looking for it. You know, they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. And he says, you know, the places they might find it. And so Lonnie looks at Chuck and he says, the places they might find it are, are churches. But the thing is, your church has a door that's closed to all these people. The way you do ministry, the way you treat people, it's, it's closed to all of them. They're never gonna come in. And so Pastor Chuck decides to change this. He decides, you know, I, I want to be a church that's open for these kids. I want them to be able to find life and not destruction and pain and brokenness anymore. And so, you know, he makes clear that his, you know, to the congregation, we're going to be a church that's going to welcome everybody. They were going to be a church in our language that would be welcoming non-religious and nominally religious people. No matter who they were or what they looked like, where they came from, they were going to be welcome in this church. So Lonnie begins inviting his friends to come to this church to see if Pastor Chuck's really serious about this. And, uh, and pretty soon there are some problems that begin to erupt with the existing church members. So he, uh, listen carefully to this little scene where the leaders of the church come to Pastor Chuck to complain about the new people in the church. Take a listen. These kids are runaways, most of them. They got drug addictions, medical issues. And they need our help. Yeah, but Chuck, <laughs> I mean, they need to go home. They're making our congregation uncomfortable. 
Well, maybe they should be uncomfortable. Maybe we all should. Maybe it's my job to make us uncomfortable. I haven't been doing it. Chuck, stop. This is enough. This is a house of worship. And yes, we expect a certain level of dignity here. These girls are wearing halter tops and half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet with their bare feet. A carpet? Mm. Oh. Yeah, let's be sure to save the carpet. You keep this up and you're gonna drive away the only contributing members that we've got. You hearing me now? Loud and clear. So, this stuff happens in churches everywhere and faith communities. So, the response to the people who are outsiders, <clears throat> who aren't sure they believe in God, but maybe searching for something, when they come in, they're not going to dress the same way everybody else dresses. I mean, they might, you know, some of them, some might, some of them might not. Some of them are going to be in suits and ties, and some of them barefoot when they come into church, right? What are we going to do? Are we going to welcome people or not welcome people? That was the question they were wrestling with. I think back in Kansas City in the 1960s, in our city, there were churches that were unwilling to welcome African-Americans who wanted to integrate the churches. So groups of African-Americans would come, some very brave showing up in an all-white congregation, maybe just their family, just a husband and wife and their kids. And then what would happen in their church? Would, would that church they visited, would they welcome them? I remember there was a, a United Methodist Church here in Kansas City, and this is after the, the protests and the riots of 1968, and there were people intentionally going out to try to integrate the white churches, the all-white churches, and, and, uh, and the church that they went to, their pastor said, everybody's welcome here. And an entire Sunday school class of people left that church, and they went to another church, another United Methodist Church, where the ushers escorted people out or to the back of the room who were trying to come in and integrate the congregation. That's, that's in my lifetime. Like nobody would think to do that today, but that's certainly what life looked like then. And then I think back to, you know, even here at Resurrection, when we first started, now this is just, nobody was complaining about this, but, you know, there was a time where I had to wear a suit and tie every Sunday because I didn't have to. I just thought I was supposed to. And, you know, everybody thought you wore a suit and tie and then people show up. Sometimes they'd show up in their shorts or they'd show up, you know, very casual and you'd have people who were grumbling a little bit. And then maybe they'd wear ball caps into the sanctuary for worship. And, and you know, that was just a big no-no. And there, you know, there were, that was, got people upset. And, you know, but today you hardly ever see a tie in church anymore. And I see a whole lot of people in their jeans, you know, every single weekend. I, I think about the LGBTQ community who've been outcasts in so many churches. And when they would, you know, people would come to our church when we began, and, you know, gay people, lesbian people, and they'd come and say, you know, we love your preaching. Is this a safe place for us to come? You know, are we going to get hurt here again like we did at our last church we were at? No, this is a safe place for you. But, you know, over time, you know, as we welcome more and more people, and then as, you know, as I try to say, I think that this is the Jesus way and that maybe we read Scripture a little differently. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, as we look at the Bible, we need to recognize there are things in the Bible that are shaped by the historical and cultural context and circumstances. And, and you know, we had people leave the church then too. Uh, I think about divorced people who cannot receive communion from their own church unless they've, been, they've had their previous marriage annulled. I mean, there's all kinds of people that we find ourselves struggling with whether to accept or not. And I'll tell you, for Gen Z, for most of Gen Z, that's just not gonna be okay. If there's a church that wants to welcome them, they better be willing to welcome their friends. Now, remembering the concern for the carpet, I want you to see this next scene in which Pastor Chuck has decided, you know, he was threatened. The, the, all the people who give money are gonna leave. And, you know, we've had people who've, Send me notes, you know, we're not going to give money anymore to the church because of, you know, how you welcome people, what you're doing. I'm like, okay, God bless you. And so 
you know, I, I think about this and I think about what was happening with Pastor Chuck and he decided, you know what, even though his elders and maybe his three biggest contributors are against this, that Jesus was for welcoming everybody. And so I want you to see what happens in the next scene. Take a look. Good to see you. Enjoy. Welcome to church. Hello, young lady. You know, last year I had the privilege of visiting uh, New York City. And like any good tourist, I, I paid a visit to the Statue of Liberty. And I read those famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And as I read those words, I thought, well, that's Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's the essence of it. An invitation to the broken. Jesus was very friendly with the outcasts. In Revelation 22, it says, let the one who can hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life freely. I want you all to look at me, uh, please, every one of you. This place It is yours. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if anybody else thinks so. I mean, if, if you feel like you're an outcast, then join us here. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. First time I watched this movie, I sat there in tears. So I thought that's why we started Church of the Resurrection. In 1990, not to try to find people who went to church somewhere else and convince them to come here. To find people who felt marginalized or left out or pushed around or made to feel like they didn't fit. Say, so this is a place for you. That's why we have on 20 inch letters on all of our buildings that we're a church for non-religious and nominally religious people. And today they don't look like hippies anymore. Sometimes they're in suits and ties, but they're addicts or broken. Sometimes there are people who have been alienated, street people or people who feel like, you know, there's no way a church would welcome me. But to say, this is a place for you where you'll find forgiveness and grace and healing for your brokenness. That's the kind of church we are. That's who we are meant to be. That's why we started Church of the Resurrection. I don't want you to forget that. So this is a revolution. This is where it began. And when Pastor Chuck refused to back down and when he was, you know, when he was saying, no, we're gonna welcome everybody, you know, we, we see what happens is some people are so uncomfortable, they're not gonna stay. Take a look at this clip. No guilt trips. <laughs> this is your home. And I want you to tell all your friends about it. There is a place for you. Now that door is open all the time for you, any time of day. And if 
there are some who don't like that, well then, that door is open for you too. It works both ways. Let's begin. <laughs> Let's begin. Hey, Chuck. You're going to need a bigger church. You know, over the years, every church has people who come and people who go. And probably all of you who are part of Resurrection know people who left. You know, for one reason or another. And uh, that's okay, because there are churches that are a better fit for other folks, and we bless them and wish them well. I don't want anybody ever to leave this place, but I know sometimes it's going to happen. And uh, I'm proud of the fact that most people stay. And then there's always a whole new group of people who are coming along saying, that's exactly the kind of church I've been looking for. That's what I've been hoping for. I want you to know everybody's welcome here. That's the kind of church we are. And I hope that you're proud of that. Hope you can say, you know, it's okay, you go to church somewhere else, but I'm really proud of my church. I'm proud of who we are. And I think we're trying to be like Jesus in the world around us today. And I think that's the kind of church that if Gen Zers are gonna find Christ, it's gonna be in a church like that. And a church where older folks are willing to come and wrap their arms around younger folks and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. Or the people who've been outcasts are willing to feel like not in this place, you are welcome and loved here. I wanna close with this. I believe we're in need of a new Jesus revolution. There's a whole generation of young people who don't think the church is for them. And there's a lot of churches have given, given them reason to feel that way. And sometimes even we as parents or grandparents have said things or done things that maybe weren't our best witness for Christ with younger generations. I don't want us to be the kind of folks who are worried about you know, what's on the shag carpet. Fortunately, we don't have shag carpet, but, you know, that was one of the conversations we had. Do we let people bring coffee into the sanctuary? I remember building this, you know, this place and thinking, ah, we shouldn't bring coffee in the sanctuary. I'm like, what matters more to me? Whether people bring coffee and spill it on the carpet or whether people come who wouldn't come otherwise. It's just so easy for us to get caught up in all the wrong things. So I want to show you one last little chart about Gen Z. So this, this question was asked a national survey, I think 5,500 Gen Zers took it. Young people who say they are religious are more likely to agree or strongly agree that they're in good physical and emotional condition. 74% of the very religious were in good physical and emotional condition. And the real key was talking about emotions, mental health. And 42% of those who were not religious could answer the same thing. There is something that happens in being a part of a community, in belonging, in feeling like there are people who care about you, stretcher bearers who come alongside you, who feel like there's a reason to get up every morning, who know that there is a God who loves you and calls you by name and walks with you no matter what, and no matter how dark things are, that there's always hope. And that love that we share with each other and the love that God has for us is the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we try to offer people here at Church of the Resurrection. I want to read you the psalm 
that I shared with you or that was shared at the beginning of the sermon, before the sermon began. It said this, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done so the next generation would know them and even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. That's my hope and prayer for this congregation is that we would do whatever it takes now to be the church for the generation that's to come. And that generation will be the church for the generation to come. And we'll proclaim the good deeds of our God and the love of God in Jesus Christ for future generations in a way that they feel it, see it, and experience it. And that this church, generations from now, at all of our locations and online and on TV, would find people yearly, monthly, daily, saying that is what I need. That takes me back to the picture I showed you at the beginning of the service. Put it up there again, if you would. So one of our staff members uh, took this photo of these Gen Zers, high school graduates walking into our sanctuary. And she said, what really struck me was looking up at that stained glass window. And in my mind, I could see that Jesus had his arms outstretched. And as these kids were coming into graduation, they, they may, may not have even noticed. But Jesus was saying to them, come to me, all of you. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'm going to love you and care for you and show you grace and mercy. I want you. That's what Jesus says to this generation. But he needs us to be able to vocalize that with our words and with our actions. Let's welcome and love the generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, how grateful we are to you that you love us, that you walked among us in Jesus Christ, that you show us the way and the truth and the life, that you long for us to be in a relationship with you. And there are some who are listening to this sermon who came just out of curiosity today. Maybe some who came with their parents or their grandparents, they're graduating, but I'm not really sure if they believe all this or not. But I pray that you would help them to sense today that this sermon was for them. I pray that you would help them to know the deep, deep love you have for them. I pray that they might see your purposes for their life and they might choose to walk with you. And that we here at Church of the Resurrection might be a church that would reflect your love to everyone. That we might be a place that cares more about souls than shag carpet. That we might be a place where everyone senses your welcome. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.